Hey, it's Burton Shalow. And this is Savannah Hart, and you're listening to the Black Box Podcast. LeBron has started building a little buzz his sophomore year. We flew the kid and his family to Oakland. We played like two or three games. The first game, LeBron was horrible. (laughs) His high school coach pulled him in the hallway. We came all this way and this is how you play. It was just amazing. So second game starts. Unbelievable. On this week's episode of the Black Box Podcast, we have Calvin Andrews, who's an MBA agent and has been in this industry for 20 years, and is actually a friend of Burton's. Cal is one of the best storytellers I know. Grab a blanket, grab some hot cocoa. He's got great stories about LeBron in high school. He once represented Carmelo Anthony, and I've actually done a Chinese sneaker deal with him. But before we kick it off, just one note for our listeners. We recorded this interview a while ago, and Calvin has since switched agencies. He's now with Clutch Sports, which is actually LeBron's agency. So while some things have changed, Cal's insights into the industry are just as valuable as ever. So let's get into it. All right, Cal, thanks for doing this with us. We really appreciate you. You know, I'll jump right in. 10 years in the business plus, I would say, with you. I know a little bit about your story, but I'd love for you to tell us how you went from Oakland Soldiers, uh, and for those that don't know, elite AAU program in the Bay Area, how you went from Oakland Soldiers to running your own agency now, and I know there was a stop at BDA. I'd love to hear that evolution, love to hear that timeline. Well, it's kind of, it's funny. No one's ever asked me to start it from the Oakland Soldiers. They always ask me, how did it all start? And so, like you said, for those who don't know, a partner of mine and I founded a youth organization that wasn't, it was called the Soldiers back in the day, but it's really called Scholar Athletes, Inc. And we were really all about um, helping develop young, young athletes or young people develop them, give them the, the right skill sets and the right guidance so that they go on to college. So we just figured we use sports as the hook to do that. And so we just started a small community group uh, here in Richmond, California. And um, next thing you know, kind of mushroomed over the years into what most people call commonly know as the Oakland Soldiers, which is one of the biggest AU programs and long, longest running AU programs uh, in the country. So while I was doing that, I was also working at uh, the Xerox Corporation. And so while I was grooming my corporate side, the basketball world was growing and it was just it was just an unbelievable time. And so the two worlds kind of collided. And what really happened was the kids start pulling me in. The kids start saying, hey, if I make it, why don't you be my agent? Why don't you help me? Why don't you do this? You do that. I mean, we were fortunate enough to see a few guys uh, go pro while I was running my program. Who went pro while you were running your program? Guys like Chauncey Billups, who... He was a soldier? Oh, yeah. Chauncey Billups was a soldier uh, going to a senior year. His AAU program folded in um, in Denver. He was like, I got somewhere to play. I was like, man, just come play for us. And it just worked out, you know? So anyway, some of the kids in our program were like, Calvin, you know, you've got the business background, you know, everybody in basketball, you've done this. My parents love you. Everybody trusts you. Why don't you be the person to guide me? And quite honest with you, Burton, for years, I kind of fought that off because I just didn't like the concept of being an agent. It just had a negative connotation to me at the time. And so once the kids pulled me in, I started doing homework and started researching. And I spent about five years 
just researching it and um, being around it. And like I said, some of the kids who we just named allowed me to come into their world. You know, I would go visit them. I would do some small business transactions with them, help them with some off-court marketing stuff. It just gave me a peek into it. And by year five, I had a young man who I was uh, mentoring. He said, uh, I want you to be my agent. And that was Drew Gooden, um, who was in the 2002 draft. Okay, backtrack a little bit, Calvin. I got to hear what went from year one, nah, I'm good, I don't want to be an agent, to year five. What changed the negative connotation? Because clearly, Mm -hmm. that's what you do now for a living. Correct, correct. Good good question, Burton. From year zero to five, at zero is when the kids start saying, come do this. Because prior to that, I had other people saying, come do it. I had other agents saying, do it. And I just was like, no, I don't want to do this. And then the kid start saying, nah, man, if you, if I make it, you, you can do it. And so after that, that started to zero. Okay. And then from there I said, let me do my research. Once I got to the point where I felt like I had all the basics that I needed. And then when Drew Gooden was coming through and he was like, I want you to be my agent. If I make it, he was only a senior in high school when he said that he decided he wanted to go to Kansas And uh, so he went to Kansas and then that kind of started the whole process. Literally from the day he went to Kansas, I kind of acted as his agent. Every, every movie made everything he did, we talked about, we, we kind of planned things and discussed things and it was just an incredible run. So he did three years at Kansas, but his third year, he was, he was one of the, um, you know, players of the year in the NCAA with him and uh, Jason Williams. And so he was the fourth pick in the draft. I, was going through a process leading up to that on how am I going to structure this agent thing? What am I going to do? You know, it is too hard to come into this business with no experience, no clients, no nothing. It's, it's virtually impossible unless the kid is your son or your nephew. And so what I realized was I need to connect with an experienced agent, someone who's already done this, someone who's got a track record. I, I was confident that I had access to the talent. I just now needed access to the experience and the credibility of it. I'm a byproduct of Sonny Vaccaro. I'm going to say I was one of his, uh, his, his generals or lieutenants back in the day. Protégé. We'll say protégé. Yeah, a protégé. I like that word. Well, we ran things a little different back then. You know, it was kind of like the mob, if you will. Um, <laughs> the, so, the sneaker mob. So I was a lieutenant. Okay. And so... Um, <laughs> He would introduce me to some pretty prominent people and we would meet and talk and, you know, trying to figure out what my next move was going to be. And uh, make a long story short, I end up having a previous relationship with, with Bill Duffy. Those of you in the industry know Bill Duffy is a very, very prominent agent in our industry. I said, okay. So Bill and I set up a meeting. We talked. And once Bill laid out what he was working on and what he was doing, like he wasn't the Bill Duffy we know today, right? He was still an agent, had been there and had some, some good clients, but hadn't blown up to the level that he is now. And so after talking to him, I felt real comfortable with Bill. And I felt like if I go work with Bill, I think I can make a bigger impact on his business and the growth of his business than I will with some of these bigger agencies that's already established. Okay. And the fact that he was an African-American man, really, I felt good about that. I I felt good about helping build an African-American business. I just felt super comfortable working with Bill. And so shortly after that, we decided to work together. Um, I left my corporate job at Xerox and start working with BDA, Bill Duffy and Associates. And that year, 
We had the number one pick in Yao Ming. We had the number two pick in Jason Williams from Duke. We had Drew Gooden at number four. We had Freddie Jones was like 11th pick. We had another client of mine, Kareem Rush, who ended up playing for the Lakers. He was the 20th pick. And we had Tayshaun Prince that year, which I want to say was around 26th pick, 26 or 27th. So you had Kareem and Drew were yours? Yes. So my rookie so two, year, two year in, rookie year, yeah. in this business, I had the fourth and 20th pick, which doesn't really happen, especially didn't happen back in those days. And were you scared like that this is like the the people that the value of people that you're representing in your first time? I was more excited than scared because okay. um, I felt like I was super prepared for this. And that's why you partner with somebody that's been there and done it. So that made life a lot easier when coming in, playing with the big boys in this business. So to, to be honest with you guys, I've been in this thing for 18 years and my first year was by far the best. Don't say that, Cal. Come on. <laughs> I swear to God. And I've been through a lot. Right. And so right. I, it was unbelievable, man. It was unbelievable. Everything was so new and exciting and fresh. And now it's just business and <laughs> pressure on you and Got to deliver you. You know, my young guys were just like, well, we already looked at each other like, what's next? You know, and just kind of going through it and just making amazing things happen for each other. You know, they changed my life. I changed their lives. And it was amazing. So that's why I say that first year, it's nothing like it, man. I got to talk about your big client, right? So tell us a little bit about, you know, the next year you get, you go to Carmelo, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So the next year, so that first year I'm, I'm fourth pick and 20th pick. I'm, I'm, I'm in the green room. It's amazing. I got two clients in the green room. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And anybody that's in our agent business knows like an agent's dream is to be in the green room. Okay. The next year I signed Carmelo Anthony out of Syracuse. He's the hottest player in college basketball. It, it was it was amazing. And that not only catapulted me to unbelievable levels in the industry, now BDA is seen as one of the, you know, more prominent agencies in the business just in a two-year run. Carmelo Anthony, number three pick in the draft, uh, yes. bona fide Hall of Famer, max yes. player, all that great stuff. And you had him in Denver when he was, yes. you know, it depends on how you view it, but on top of the world. Talk me through getting fired by a client like that. Like, what is, what's the emotional and mental yeah. and financial and credi credibility implications to Carmelo Anthony firing you? First of all, you're so brutal, man. Professional yeah, podcaster. Anyway, professional podcaster. Uh, here's, what I, here's, here's, here's what I'll tell you. Surprisingly, I wasn't as hurt so much by losing him as a client because of the level of client he was. It was more because of the level of relationship we had. And the relationship that I had with Carmelo was extremely unique and we were extremely close. And if you go back in the history of Carmelo, you know, he's had some scrapes and some bumps on the road. And um, we were there every step of the way to help him kind of get back on his feet and still maintain his level of celebrity and success and on and off the court. So what made it really hard, Burton, was that I never thought it would end the way that it kind of ended. Did you see it coming? Like, you know, you know when your girl's going to break up with you. Well, and if you don't how did know, it end? I don't, I don't know the story. Well, 
I can't, I don't know if I'm at liberty to go into all the details, but I will say this. Mello, you know, we represented Mello first six years of his career. And most, and obviously that was all at Denver. And Mello started getting interested in different things, record labels, um, producing movies, um, investing in, you know, Hollywood type things. His interests start focusing towards that. And so at one point, um, he actually fired BDA Marketing, the marketing arm of, of our sports management company. He fired it. Now, in most cases, guys, if that happens, and Burton will tell you, everybody's out the door. You don't just fire one division of the agency. Everyone's out. So he was like, right. yo, check this out. I don't want to deal with nobody at BDA. Everybody's fired except for Calvin. I want to maintain Calvin as my agent. And it was really weird, man. Uh, yeah, that's awkward. Yeah, it was really awkward. So we did that for a little over a year, I want to say. So does that mean you saw it coming? I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say I saw it coming, but I felt vulnerable. How's that? Mm, I'm very vulnerable. And so as we walk down that path, he's, 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 I'm like, okay, great. I'll be involved with helping him find new marketing partners and whatever. No, I wasn't involved at all. So they went and found some people out of New York. He worked with them for 12 months. Did he cut you out of the shoe deal? No. For those that don't know, the shoe deal is the deal, right? The deal. When it comes to off the court, that's yeah. what most marketers that's care the, about. Correct. That's, that's what most agents care correct. about. I kept the shoe deal. So the marketing stuff was all off court stuff, except for shoe deal. All right. So he hires a company for one 12 months. They brought in a whopping $25,000. In 12 months. With Carmelo Anthony? With Carmelo Anthony. Now, prior to that, Sheesh. BDA was bringing about 600000 So then he fires that company. Then he's out looking for another marketing company. This time, he goes to Hollywood. And he's meeting with, you know, the CAAs and all this stuff. Because what he wanted was, he was looking for somebody to help him off court with his entertainment endeavors. But in the meantime, I'm still the agent. Are you sitting in these meetings? Is he inviting you to these meetings? No, that's the thing. I'm not involved in none of it. So just strictly team contracts. Team contracts and shoe deals. And the now, shoe deal. Prior to this, okay, Burton, you asked me these loaded questions, man. Okay, <laughs> so prior to that. I Burton, come with heat, Calvin. Heat. <laughs> we were thinking about calling the podcast Heat. So prior to that, Burton, we were in the Nike headquarters and we're doing some meeting because he had a you know amazing shoe deal with them. He had a signature shoe. So every year we go there to do, you know, reviews and work on the new plans and all this kind of stuff. So we're there. And um, at the time, I, I can't remember which president it was. Nike's had several presidents. He, he, he's there and we're talking and he says something that I don't think he knew he should have said to me. And it sparked something in my mind. And Melo had like two years left in his rookie shoe deal, which was which at the time was a, was a great deal. Wait, wait, wait. What did he say? He basically hinted towards let's do a new deal, even though we had two years left on the deal. And I was like, ah, yeah, whatever, right? That'd be cool, but are you guys really going to do that? So I sat on that for like six months. And then I think Melo did something. He was on fire. I don't know if it was Olympics. I, I can't remember. He was on fire, right? And I was like, man, we got to take advantage of this. And I said, Wait, let's try to get the current contract ripped up and get a whole new deal. Because if we get a deal on how he's 
how how on fire he was at the time, then we can get an astronomical deal. But the deal he's in now, he's already underpaid. So I said to Melo, I was like, yo, I'm going to try to do this. He's like, what? Man, you can do that. You the man. I was like, okay, cool. So I called my Nike people up, actually Jordan people, because he was with the Jordan brand. And I said, I got an idea. Let's, let's rip up this contract and do another one for, for Melo. We think he deserves this. And they came back to me and said, hey, man, you're right. Let's do it. We come up with, a, with some numbers. Um, it was right when Kevin Durant had just signed a big deal with them. And so the timing was really good. And so we were able to get our hands on Durant's deal. We end up getting a deal just a tad bit over whatever Durant's deal was at that time. Which is a great deal. I remember. Yeah, great deal. And this is a year and a half before his deal is over. Now, this is important because it ties back into the termination part of this Right, right. I was about to ask, like, yeah. does this help yeah. you? So we get the deal done. They didn't rip the contract up, though. They said, we can't rip the contract up. But we'll sign this deal, and it will start when this other deal ends. That's both good and bad. The good thing is we're locked into a pretty hefty deal. The bad thing is who knows what his market is in a year and a half from now might be worth even more. So here's what happens a week or two after we sign the deal, he gets a DUI in Denver. A week or two after you sign the deal. After we sign the deal. Okay. Gets a DUI. Bad looks. Doesn't look good. But isn't that good for you? Cause at least you already signed the deal. It's very good for me. <laughs> and very good for Mello. Exactly. So I never forget. I was at um, the Jordan Classic, and um, I saw one of the key guys from from the brand, and he comes up to me, says, "You are lucky." I was like, "How are we lucky?" He said, "You know that if that deal wouldn't have been done before that DUI, hard home, hard home, hard home, it would have been over." And I said, "I know." With a smile, I said, "I know." But we got that deal done, and a year and a half before his other deal. We signed a max contract with the Denver Nuggets, $85 million. Both contracts don't even start yet. Here we go. Now we're moving down this path I told you about. Fast forward, he's back to Hollywood meeting with all these firms. The relationship started getting weird. So when you say, did I have a heads up? Yes and no. The relationship started getting weird, but the business side of me said, Wait a minute. We just signed a deal that ain't even started yet. We got a max contract that's probably got four years left on it. There's no way he would fire me because <laughs> he would have to pay Yeah, me I did my this. job. I did my job and the relationship's in place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's no way. I got a phone call one, one day. It was, in, it was in the summer, in the off season, from, his, from one of his right-hand men. And he said, Calvin, I got bad news. I was like, what's up? And I kind of knew when he said that. He said, man, Mello about to fire you. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I can't believe I'm telling you all of this. But anyway, uh, he goes, yes. I said, he said, let me tell you what happened. And he walked me through Mello looking at different agencies for marketing and entertainment. He met with these people. He met with William Morris. He met with this. So he meets with uh, CAA. And he says he's blown away by what CAA can sell him. He can do on the entertainment side, which, of course, they're the big dogs in entertainment. Um, so he was like, Hey, I'm impressed. I, I like it. I want to go with you guys. Right. And they said, there, we only have one problem. And it was like, what? Well, we just recently started our sports management division. So if we do this, we got to do it all. We got to have everything. 
So he had to make a decision. And I guess we all know what the decision was. Yeah. And that's how we determined it. So nothing negative, no blow up, no big fight, no you mishandled this, nothing. It's just he had to make a decision on what he was trying to do with the, with, with the course of his career and his off-court stuff. And that's the decision that he made. Did he did he ever call you and fire you, or his man called you and that was the that's the part that hurts. firing. That's the part that I was telling you that really made it sting. Was I understand that he had to make that decision? I, I never, like I said, that part fine. So when, when his guy called me, he said, "Look, Melo on the plane. He's heading to L.A. now. When he gets there, he's gonna call you." I was like, "Cool." It's everything I expected. Well, that was what was that? Two thousand nine, I guess. I still haven't got that call. I've talked to, I won't drop names, mm-hmm. uh, but I've talked to a couple of NBA guys that have fired their agent before they fired him, and I was close to them personally, so yeah. they'd call me for advice. And I always said the same thing, like, man up and make the phone call. Right. Like, you don't need me to make it. You don't need your man to make it. This is a this is a manhood thing, right? Mm-hmm. This is when you want to fire a client, you want to fire your agent, or you want to break up with your girl, like, you do it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you got to look in the mirror as a man. Yeah. But I will say this, not absolving anybody. It's hard, right? And it's it's especially hard when you're 25 or 26 and you've been in a professional athlete, you know, getting paid since you were 19 and really being a professional athlete since you were like 15 or 16 right. with all the stuff that goes around you. So you don't know another world other than being a professional athlete. And that phone call to a, an adult, and oftentimes a, an adult you looked up to, mm-hmm. at one point, is hard. Like, again, not absolving anybody, but I, I just think that part of it and, is hard. And I, I've been part of these firings and seen them happen and been on both sides of it. And and sometimes a letter is suffices and there is no need for a Oh, phone. no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. I'm just saying the call is hard. I really care about this. Tell the, the listeners, you did... His Jordan deal, so his shoe deal. Mm-hmm. You did his max deal in Denver. Yeah. Then you get fired after you do those two deals. Right. Explain the financial implications of that. Like, you get paid on both those deals no matter what, even though he's not a current client of yours? He has to pay the entire fee for both deals. One deal was six years. One deal had four years left on it. Right. As per the union, as per all the agency Le- regulations. All and all that regulations, well, contracts, period. The contract you signed yeah. with him and all that stuff. And, so and, that's- and so the question was, the question was, Burton, did he know that? That's what some people go, God, did he think he knew? Do you think he thought mm. he didn't have to pay you? What do you think? What do you think? I don't know. I think Never. he had no clue. I think I he had no clue. I mean, I, I a lot of them just aren't involved. Like he's paying somebody that fee. Does he really care if it goes to Calvin or it goes to this person? Right? Like, so the, yeah, that's the economics of it. You know, I, I know guys who've made unbelievable livings signing guys to big contracts, and they get fired. And guess what? You don't have to do anything else, and you still get the, the fee. So, if I, you know what I felt like? I felt like I was on a vacation for a few years. Because anybody, if you know working with Melo, it's a lot going on working with these big It's a lot guys. of work. It's yeah, a lot, it's of, a lot work, of things right? going on. Okay. You got to tease us, Cal. Oh, there we go. I've been, I've been talking about you, and uh, Savannah knows this, and all of our producers know this. Like, Give us a little LeBron tease. Tell us the LeBron 
Akron, Ohio to Oakland Soldiers to Sonny Vicario. I mean, you, you I, I got to bring you back on the pod just to tell the entire story Ain't one day. It. Give us a little bit right now. <laughs> it's it's all right. K- keep your coin, Calvin. We understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We work, well, I'm working on some projects right now. I can't do but just a teaser. So long story short, you know, as I talked about, we, you know, I, I ran and created this Oakland Soldier Youth Basketball Program, which had national prominence and we had a, a big platform for youth. And if you could play, you know, we really had a platform to put you at a whole different level. So a, a friend of mine who actually used to live in California, but was from Akron, Ohio, moved back to Akron. And so he would call me every year. I'm going to say since LeBron was playing in the seventh grade and was telling me about this kid in Ohio. Okay. And I'd be like, what do you really want me to do? I don't understand. You, you're telling me about a kid in Ohio. In the seventh grade, what do you want me to do? He calls me again. He kids in eighth grade. I'm like, what do you want me to do? And so the kid becomes a ninth grader. He wins the state championship as a ninth grader. And this guy is like going crazy. Like, look, this guy is, is pretty special. No one knows about it. He's in Akron, Ohio. I need him to be on a larger stage. I want him to come play with you guys so he can get, you know, exposure and the whole night. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. At the time, I had some pretty good players. I just wasn't feeling it. Uh, some other people got involved that I know and convinced me to allow it to happen. Um, we allowed it to happen. So the end of his ninth grade year, he flew to the Bay Area and came and played on one of our Oakland Soldier teams. And we played in a, in a national tournament. And that was our first, his first exposure to LeBron. He was 6'4" quiet kid basketball iq was amazing but wasn't like super he wasn't lebron you know he was just like a good young guy like wow he's got potential to be pretty good so i remember a friend of mine and i were like wow if he uh if he grows and gets some athleticism this dude can be pretty good right and so the other guy that was um one of my coaches at the time, he now runs the soldier program, Mark Olivier. Him and I, the following fall, flew to Akron, Ohio to go to one of LeBron's games. We just wanted to keep the relationship going and kind of thing. And that But you're really, not thinking this is LeBron yet. No, it's not he's that, not LeBron. Right? He's just right, right. But what are you fish. thinking in your head? Okay, but maybe I knew he NBA was good. Player. So we wanted okay. to keep him in the system, just give him, him opportunity to kind of develop and grow and do some things. And so that trip to Ohio was was amazing. Like that really kind of solidified. That's where I met his his mom, Gloria, and all his support system and all his different people and his coaches and just really linked in with everybody. And at that point, we agreed, okay, you'll play in the spring and the summer. You'll play, you know, some tournaments with us, and he'll play some tournaments with his local uh, Akron team with his buddies and his coach. And that's kind of how we did it. And so the following year, the kid grows to six seven, and he's jumping out the gym. So now we're like, wait a minute, there's something here. So we, as I told you earlier, I, I was lieutenant of Sonny Vaccaro, and at the time, Sonny Vaccaro ran all things grassroots. He ran all things um, shoe deal related. He he was the absolute king. He at the time he was Adidas with LeBron, okay, Adidas. And uh, but it didn't matter because he set the market. Okay, so we convinced Sonny to come see this kid. 
His son, he didn't, hadn't seen him. LeBron has started building a little buzz his sophomore year. So we convinced Sonny to come to Oakland because Sonny said, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not flying to, to, to Ohio, Calvin. It's not happening. So we, we made it where Sonny came to Oakland. We flew the kid and his family to Oakland. We played a, like two or three games and with Sonny present. The first game, Burton, I know you like stories, so I'm going to tell you the story. The first game, LeBron was horrible. <laughs> he, I'm not going to say he was horrible. But he wasn't but like, he wasn't yeah, anything special. He was about right, average. Right. His high school coach pulled him in the hallway. I just happened to happen to go to the bathroom at this time. His high school coach ripped him a new one. Do you know who this guy is that came up here to see you? Do you know we came all this way and this is how you play? It was just amazing. So second game starts. Unbelievable. The kid just put on a show. And halfway through the game, Sonny's like, I've seen enough. I've seen enough. I don't even see anymore. And I can hear that story a hundred yeah, times. That night we, we went to dinner and everything, and Sonny just basically laid out a complete plan. Like, hey, Adidas is going to come in, and we're going to sponsor the whole school. We're going to sponsor his his Ohio AAU team. You're, you're going to play these tournaments with soldiers. You'll play these tournaments with AAU this stage. And so that kind of laid out the foundation. We're bringing you to uh, New Jersey for back then what's called the ABCD camp. And, and for those who don't know, the ABCD camp back then was the end all. This was going to be LeBron's welcome to the world party. And he did not disappoint. It was yep. the beginning of a legend. I, I know, I know. That's year, year that's two of year two of year twenty years, right? Correct. Like if you you went from BDA to starting your own agency. Yes. Tell us the difference between credible, well-known agency and being an independent agent. Tell us about like that dance that you do with recruits. And well, I, I think I had a beautiful situation in that. In working 16 years with BDA and, and helping be a big part of them growing into the, the, the level of agency that they were and, and being a key figure in that was, was great for my branding and my expertise and, in, and you know experience and so forth and so on. So when I decided to kind of branch away just to start my own thing, I wanted to create, like, if we were thinking in the tech world, kind of an open operating system where any peripheral can tie into what we were doing and it would work. Whereas if you, if you know anything about some of the bigger agencies, it's their way or the highway. You know, there's no, we're not bringing in external people. We hire people for all those things. I felt like, no, we need to bring every resource possible to help the player, no matter where the resource comes from. And so I just had this vision that, you know, maybe I can create something that, that I can tie into whatever and whoever to help my clients. And so I felt like my pitch and what made me different in creating the smaller boutique industry was I'm a person with big firm experience, big firm relationships, and I can bring that to you in a more concise, intimate box. So now you can have the best of both worlds. You, you, can, you can have this big firm kind of experience and talent, but yet have a firm that can really focus in on you as a client or your son or your nephew and get the best of both worlds. Is it much harder? It's much harder. It's much harder. Is it more fulfilling? 
it's very fulfilling. <laughs> I ask because I feel like a lot of the times in those big agencies, sometimes you're pulled in a lot of directions. So maybe you're just working on one shoe deal or just one endorsement as opposed to with with your own agency and now you're you kind of have that 360 perspective so you can right. really build those players to the success that you see them the same way that you did with Oakland at least it seems sounds like yeah. that was your yeah. your mission and your purpose no that, that's a good point but i would tell you a bda was it was a little different because although it was quote unquote a big firm but we still was a small firm so we were able to kind of do exactly what you said because my clients were my clients you talked about with duff Part of part of the equation in joining BDA was that he was black. Mm-hmm. When you came in as an agent in 2002, not that many. I mean, there was Aaron, there's Bill, but there wasn't that many no. black agents, no. right? And now the 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 paradigm has shifted a little bit. Just a little bit. What's your perspective on, you know, oftentimes, quote unquote, runners? And for those don't, that don't know who runners are, runners are guys that officially or unofficially work for agents to help recruit new clients that are either in high school or college. Oftentimes, runners are, are, are black, but don't get the opportunity to be the agent for right. whatever reason. Right. So I, I'd love to hear you as an elder statesman, an elder black statesman in the agency world, what's your perspective on what I think is a growing uh, headcount for for black uh, men and hopefully women? But also, like, you know, there tends to be more roadblocks for them. Like, what's your perspective on that? And how did you overcome it personally? Yeah, it's tough. Um, You know, a lot of people look at our business and and they see the Bill Duffy's. They see myself. They see some of these other black agents. They go, oh, no, there's black, you know, Rich Paul. There's there's black agents out there doing it. Like, but if you guys really look at the numbers, it's very small. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to say it's the 80-20 rule. I, I believe that only 20% of the agents are black and 80% of them are not. And I'm going to say 20% of the players are represented by black agents and 80% are not. So the numbers are really skewed in our, and they're not to our advantage as black agents. So I would say that one of my mantras is to help grow and develop that. I, I just think that we need to continue to develop um, professional young men and women to be able to represent people who look like us. I mean, I, I think there's some advantages to working with people who come from similar backgrounds, who have similar struggles and things like that. And, and we have to keep pushing forward to provide quality people with the right level of expertise that can manage these guys' career. I don't want any player in the world to sign with someone just because of the color of their skin. I want them to sign with someone who can deliver the business the way they need the business and they happen to have the same color skin, then I just think that's a positive, you know? So that's kind of how I look at it. Um, How did I persevere? I just felt like I had all checked all the right boxes. I, I'm, a, I'm a former player, although not at the NBA level. So I, I, I understand basketball. Um, I was groomed and raised in a corporate environment. So I felt like I had the advantage of understanding how business works and how contracts works and how to present to people and how to carry yourself and all those types of things. I had the advantage of building one of the most successful youth organizations. So that put me on the doorstep of 
just about every college coach in America, uh, every shoe company in America, uh, just on and on the connections that I was afforded during that process, accidentally, by the way, it just kind of happened organically. That allowed me and my picture that I paint just really gave me unbelievable credibility when you walk into a living room with a mother and a son and they look at you and they hear what you have to say. It just, it just, it just takes you to another level. So if you have the other stuff behind you, the, the BDA rosters, the years of experience, the, the Carmel Anthony stories, the, the lottery picks, the top five picks, when you package all that up, Savannah, then it looks like, okay, this is something that can trump other things that might walk through the door. I'm, I'm not diplomatic, as you know, Cal, and yeah. I think Savannah knows that too. What would you say that to like, I think that there are agencies and agents out there that are in leadership roles that are white, that are hiring black and brown and mostly black men as subordinates for the exact opposite reason of what you said, because they want to sign kids and recruits because of the color of the skin. What would you say to that assessment I have? Uh, I that I think that's right going now. on this in is the industry. That's just how it works. That's just how it works, period. Like I said, you, you, they can relate. The guy that's uh, I, I don't want to get myself into trouble here. You know, a guy that doesn't look and talk and feel the way they feel, it's going to be a lot harder for him to start gaining a relationship with that young African-American male. Right. So you send in somebody that can identify, who can hang, who can do the things that make this guy feel comfortable. And then when it's time to talk real business, then you bring this person in. And, and that's just how it works. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. And I what you just said is a very rational thought. I guess my objection would be that they're being hired specifically for this role with no upside. Correct. With a cap. And so that to me. That to me seems like systematic racism, right? Like you're building a system that doesn't allow brown and black and specifically black men to grow and advance. And so rather than spend the time to identify, to your point, like you want to hire the right person always, right? But rather than spend the time to identify and hire the right black or brown person, that's where my objection is. Like my objection is that I see that a lot. Right. And then to your point, when it comes down to business or growth opportunities, and I think that's what leads to what you said, the percentages for black agents isn't as high as I think it is, because I don't think they're being given the same opportunities. Well, I want to kind of pivot the question, right, because there are especially in these times, there are a lot of black athletes who are looking for these black agents, but they don't necessarily know where to find them. And the agents don't have a platform to connect. Right. So. If if someone goes to CAA, because I've been seeing like this trend where athletes have an agent with Rock Nation or CAA or whatever the case may be, but they have their own management team. For someone who's looking to actively seek out these people, but they just don't necessarily have the platform, like where is that? I feel like that's more so the problem as opposed to trying to solve something that's been systematically racist for years upon years. But is the management team to solve? 
is like building a management team that is black and brown people to well, solve. No, no, no. It's, it's not to solve, but it's more so it's if an athlete is looking for a black agent and a black agent is looking to get in contact with these athletes, where's where's the loophole? Because all the all of these all these athletes know when they come into the game is they know the BDAs, they know the CAAs. You know what I'm saying? This is what I learned a long time ago. It's going to sound very simplistic, but it took me some time to really learn this. Players, parents, whoever's making a decision, they have a preconceived vision of who an agent is to them. What he looks like, what he talks like, what he acts like, that's a preconceived thing. It's just like if I told you guys right now, hey, we need to go hire a corporate lawyer to help build this company we're going to do. And we got some very intense contracts that need to be developed. You in your mind kind of have an idea what that person looks like. So if I bring in a a long hair hippie and he's got sandals on and shorts, you're going to be like, who's this guy? I'm like, this is the lawyer. And in your mind, you're going to be like, this, this is not the lawyer. You know what I mean? And our business works similar to that. So there's some people who they're looking for a white guy who they feel like is super connected. And I don't care about hanging out with him. I don't want to hang out with him. I just want him to. I just want my max deal. I just want him to go get the money. Okay. Some people want a a black man who's, who's smooth, who's been in this industry, who's shown some success. and, 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 And that's the guy I want. So I've learned that people have this notion of what they want. And if you come in and you're not the notion, it really doesn't matter what you have to say because they're kind of already turned off by the whole situation. Cal, as a black male and with everything that's going on in the world and everything that happened in the bubble, pre-bubble, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, but you're an agent, right? Where was your mind between business and managing your clients you know, because the reality of business is that the NBA lost a lot of money this year between everything that happened in China and COVID and unfortunately people being turned off by the fact that athletes and NBA players are, are willing to speak out politically. And I don't even think this is not politics. Racial equality is not a political conversation. It's it's a human conversation. But where where is your sort of emotions and brain and wallet been during this? God, it's been tough, Burton, because your heart, your head is saying, hey, we, we got to stand up. We've got to fight. We, we got to be on the side of what's right. And then you look at the other side of you go, but wow, we are in a business. And this is all these guys. This is all these kids livelihood. And it's my livelihood. And if this thing goes one way, then, you know, a lot of our livelihoods can come tumbling down. If it goes another way, uh, okay, we can be okay. But did we sell out because we didn't take a strong enough stance? You know, I think somebody said it best. I I heard Jalen Brown was in the meeting saying, and and we're referring to when everything went down, they were thinking about stop playing. I heard Jalen Brown says, if we leave the bubble, what are you guys going to do? If you're going to just go home, then we might as well stay here. If you guys are going to go to Kentucky with me and march and do all the things that we need to do, then let's get out of here. And I think everybody was just going, let's just get out of the bubble. And so when they really, you look at it, like, what are you going to do? I actually felt that the NBA players had the bigger voice in the bubble 
than they would have had outside. Agreed. It's the platform, right? The platform like I talked, was unbelievable. I talked to a lot of NBA guys about that. Like, yeah, the platform. Was I mean, they're basketball players. That's why people care about them, unfortunately. But that's the platform. That's the opportunity right. to really, hopefully, have your voice heard and Correct. make change happen. Do you push your guys? Like, where's the balance between your and no, agents? no, no pushing? But you do open their mind and give them uh, a platform or, or opportunities. So you never like slightly guide their decisions as to what you think is best for them. We got to pick our battles on when we do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. We do. Because if you all the time doing that, then they're looking at you like, come on, man, you're always pressing, pushing mm-hmm. your agenda on me. Right. Yeah. So sometimes you got to go, okay, you're right. I got to be the adult in the room and he's heading in the wrong direction. Hey man, you might not want to say that, you know, cause we'll, we'll process it first, man, forget this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And you're like, Oh man. Okay. He's really fired up about this. Okay. That's great. I understand, but let's deliver it this way. So that's where people like us, our value comes that no one gets to see, right? Like how do we guide these guys so that they're not, on train wrecks or creating train wrecks, but still can get what they want to get done, done. Do you think white agents had a hard time through this? Talking to their black clients, their black young men. Do you think they even talked to their black clients? Yeah, I don't know. I I think some of them do, yeah. Uh, I think they feel obligated to. Even if it's awkward, I feel like they, they can't just sit here and just let the world develop the way it's developed and them not having real conversations with their, with their people. If they are, then they probably won't be clients for long. If there's I'm gonna, what I mean, if they are sitting back and just watching, mm-hmm. then they probably won't have those clients for long. Cal, I'll leave you. I'd love to leave on this note. Cause I, I think you dropped a lot of wisdom. If you were to give, it doesn't even have to be a, a, a black young agent, but if you were to give a young agent or someone who really wanted to be in this industry, some, sage advice one really strong piece of advice what would it be build your network this business you're nothing in this business without a strong network if you can't pick up the phone and call people that's next to people you won't be able to get anything done period build your network grow relationships it's just the key to everything you can have all the knowledge world. I, I can't tell you how many emails I get where people tell me they've got, they graduated from Harvard or they got this law degree or it, none of that matters. That same, somebody can call me who never graduated from high school. And if they're connected to a lottery pick, they have our attention, period. So the biggest advice I give to all young people, and I probably do this three times a week, build your relationships be in a position where you can bring something of value to the table. It doesn't have to be a player. It can be, hey, I, I have contacts with corporations. I have contact with media outlets. I have this. I, I, I have some value. And the second thing I would say to people that's trying to get out of business, don't always think you have to start as an agent. Just get in the door, man. Get in the door as an intern. Get in the door as the assistant, get in the door as somebody just pick people up from the airport, just get in. And then if you're really good, we're going to know that you're bigger than just picking up from people from the airport. So now let me give you this. And then you kill that. And then let me give you this. I've saw some people, I'll just throw his name out. Um, Nima, not gonna, I'm, I always kill his last name, but Nima from BDA, 
started off as an intern in our marketing department. And now Nima is one of the hottest agents in the in the industry. Yeah, he reps DeAndre. He had yeah. the number one pick. Yeah, yeah, Nima's a great guy. Oh, no, Nima's awesome. But he started as literally a free intern in our marketing department. Right. And now um, he's one of the, the top agents at BDA. So right. you just you, you just got to get in. And you got to be patient. And you got to be willing to work hard. And this is a small industry, Burton, smaller than people think. And there's so many people trying to get into this small industry that it's just hard. So you've got to do something of value to separate you from anybody else and bring value to the table. Uh, Cal, you want to give any shout outs out? Do you want to promo the restaurant? Lena Soul Food, if you're ever in Oakland, California, come through. Ask for me. Hopefully I'm not there, though. <laughs> yeah. I've eaten there. I can attest. It's the best soul food you're going to eat in, in the Bay Area. Yeah. Probably the best soul food I've ever had. Well, appreciate you, Cal. Appreciate the knowledge. We probably asked you to be on again uh, to finish that LeBron story. But like I said, you are a storyteller. Burton Savannah, thank you for having me on. Look forward to seeing the show. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to follow us on all social channels at The Black Box Pod. The show would not be possible without our team. Special thanks to our producers, Amanda Berkowitz and Katie McGuigan. Our video director, Paul Aspen. Music by Ye Ali. Designed by Lineage Digital. All photos by Jonathan Gabriel Charles. And our production house, Gotham Podcast Studio in New York City. Special shout out to Raul Hernandez. We'll see you guys next time.